Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Today we have a special guest. It is our very first guest that we have on the podcast show. Uh, we have been using our hosts as uh, just interviewing them back and forth. And now we have his name is Noah Healy, and he is uh, a very brilliant man. He has developed, uh, I'm going to call it a technique that'll help the marketplace. And it is very interesting. And he is going to speak about it. And we need to listen. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. I'm excited. <clears throat> so, uh, me the, too. Yeah. This is okay. Um, this, um, reading some things here about you, and it says you have discovered a superior form of marketplace, and you're working toward the adoption of this techniques to upgrade the economy. Can you fill us in a little more about that? I'm excited to hear it because I see the marketplace and the markets just tanking, if you will, right now. And I'm yeah. always yeah. Well, that that yeah that that's a that's a very live issue and yeah. it's it's making my job a lot easier uh, because it's easier to point out the failures of the existing system uh every day basically so the in any marketplace you basically have to go back to the fundamentals of supply and demand um so given a product there's people that are capable of making that product and there's people that desire to use that product uh, or no marketplace can exist. Um, if, if it's something that nobody can make, then it doesn't matter if people want it. And if it's something that nobody wants, it doesn't matter if anybody can make it. Uh, commodity markets are situations where multiple people can make the product in question. And so a competitive environment exists. Uh, and that really only becomes kind of a viable marketplace uh, opportunity when multiple people also want the product in question. So we're managing a situation where large numbers of people are in business making something and large numbers of people are in business consuming that thing. And those two groups of people have a common interest in trading at prices that are mutually agreeable to one another. And because of that joint common interest, it becomes possible for markets as a service to exist, charging both sides money to create a forum that finds and informs them of what that price point is. Um, thanks to information technology and, and information mathematics, we can actually measure information in different signals. And so I've found a way to effectively create a third marketplace position um, 
And instead of having a two-sided buyer-seller market, I have a three-sided producer-consumer forecaster marketplace. And so the goal of the forecasters is to find and promulgate prices that will cause equal numbers or equal amounts of production and consumption to come together, uh, which is the same goal from a supply and demand standpoint of a normal marketplace. And that leads to a situation where uh, all three sides are essentially coming to a, a joint meeting of the minds. That extra complexity of having a three rather than two-sided market lets me actually measure how much value or use any individual is to the marketplace, broadly speaking. And that lets me simplify the task of figuring out what costs and, and returns to allocate among the participants. And so the marketplace under my design can have a much lower end-to-end transaction cost for sort of what I call the edge users, the producers and consumers, and have a much higher rate of return um, for the the sort of middle users, uh, the, the forecasters. Um, and so that, that's better incentives for each participant to, to play this game. And that leads to better outcomes for everyone that's involved in this kind of market. Okay. Now I did see a video on YouTube's CRM. Is that correct? Um, CDM coordinated discovery. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you, CDM. I'm so sorry for CRM. I apologize. Um, okay, CDM. <laughs> what it was it was back from 2020, and I believe it was did you create that video on YouTube? Oh yeah. Is that- yeah, yeah. Um I yeah, that's that's on my channel. Uh uh <clears throat> it's a uh, Nikki Halflinger. Uh, that's a, that's a name that I use online, you know, once it sort of became popular not to use your own name on things right, right, yeah. uh, okay. here and there. So my, my, my YouTube ID is Nikki Halflinger. Uh, <laughs> Nikki Halflinger and I share initials and Halflinger is the probably most skilled hacker in all of fiction. Um, so I just thought <laughs> it, was it was a great an, video. amusing was- joke to Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, was, I learned. I mean, it was what you're talking about right now. And from what I got from the video, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, what I got from the video was that the forecaster helps both parties as far as saying to the commodity side, hey, this is what we feel we have if you produce this much. So that way they know, let's say they're growing something, let's say it's wheat then they know how much to to grow so they don't overgrow or undergrow, correct? Is that what this is all about with the forecaster? Uh a part of it? Yeah. Or? And and choosing well well yeah, yeah, exactly. Choosing choosing what to what to grow, what to make. Um 
So for example, I have some cousins who are in agriculture and, uh, several years ago I was visiting them and, uh, I barely got to see, uh, my cousin's husband because he was bailing straw as an experiment. He had, uh, taken a, a 40 acre field of theirs and grown oats. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mostly grow corn, but he had decided to do 40 acres of oats and see how it works out. Um, Corn is a lot more productive in terms of the grains that are produced than oats are per acre, but oats okay. produce straw, uh, whereas corn stalks don't make particularly good straw. As it happened, uh, the straw prices were so high in his local area that the oats actually wound up making him more per acre than the corn did which is unfortunate okay. because he had 40 acres in oats and over a thousand <laughs> acres in corn. Um, exactly. If he'd had a better inkling of where the, where the prices were going to be at harvest time, he might've reversed those ratios and made some more money. Yep. But exactly. you know, we, we, we can't predict the future. But collectively, we can do a much better job of figuring those things out. And so your individual business decisions can be guided by the collective knowledge of all the people in the marketplace. Gotcha. Okay. That is understandable. But man, that was a great video for the layperson like myself who doesn't know anything to understand. I got a lot out of it by watching that. I am going to post a link to that if you don't mind. That's it's it's directly oh, related. Absolutely, to that was about. yeah, yeah. That was that was one of the goals. Kind of once a year, I come up with an idea of of a thing I'm going to do to to try to get this sort of moving forward. Um, and I'm coming up on one year of podcasting, uh, so I'm going to be sort of reviewing and, and thinking through what what to do next, continuing with this or switching to something else. I'm not really sh- quite sure yet. Uh, I need to need to take some time to assess. But yeah, um, a, a couple of years ago, uh, creating a video explainer was, was a notion I had. And so I had that produced. Yeah, very, very good. It, it reminded me of an educational show on Saturdays for children about the government and everything. And it, it was awesome because it it's relatable to people that, like myself that don't have the knowledge and the understanding, the key words in their brain to follow a uh, technical side of it. Yeah. I, it, it, I awesome. think, I think it is rather a shame that we, that we, do this for government, as you're pointing out, like, you know, Schoolhouse Rock gives sort yeah, of there a you specific go. lesson yeah. to six-year-olds. Um, but the economy is at least as important as as the government is. Um, people right. consume commodity products literally every day. Absolutely. And the systems that are in place, while they're unbelievably sophisticated and and complicated are based on very very simple uh 
and common experiences that, uh, you know, children opening up lemonade stands can experience for themselves. So it's not this, <laughs> this abstruse thing that people can't learn about, but we don't teach it. Um, so that's, that's a, that's one of the challenges that I've encountered because there hasn't been much innovation in forms of marketplace for centuries. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a bit, uh, uh, out of the, the mainstream uh, because most people aren't aware of sort of the markets or even what sort of impact that they have on their lives. But most of the people who are in those markets and know those things are not aware that the impacts of computation and the internet have really foundationally changed uh, how their how their actual in, industry functions, um, and uh, and so that that's it's sort of two layers of of difficulty for for getting the word out. Yeah, that that was exactly going to be my next question. Are you facing resistance for wanting to change, bringing up change to these markets that have been, like you said, for centuries the same? That they, you know, basically are repetitive oh, yeah. year in, year out. I mean, absolutely. How, how is somebody that's trying to disrupt the market and change it, how is that being welcomed to these old people, generations that have been in the market and like, wow, oh, no, it works just fine. It's not broken. Don't even, what are you talking about? Right. I mean, do you face that? Do you get that resistance? Uh, that, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a phrase, everyone's conservative about what they know best. And people, well, people can be happy for things to get better. People also don't like things to change. And, yeah. and it's very difficult to explain to people the sort of bitter pill that if you want things to get better, that means they also have to get different. Um, and so... <laughs> very good. If, very good. If you're somebody that actually does optimization uh which is sort of what i do professionally uh, this is this is just kind of the cost of doing business is that you're always going to have to be changing things if you're going to make things better and that means you're going to hear a lot of no's and a lot of resistance and you just gotta you gotta walk through that uh which is unfortunate I've managed to accumulate a few people who are working on projects to incorporate my technology. And awesome. uh, I've managed to get pretty far down the road with the patent office, where at least my examiner and his supervisor are convinced that I ought to be granted the patent. Um, and nice. I just have to keep turning whatever cranks I can get my hands on um, until until we get over whatever the the startup costs turn out to be. Um, I, you know, I, I won't know how hard this is until after I've accomplished it. <laughs> that that's, that's good. That's good. It's a little different from a lot of different things. Got to do it to figure it out how it goes. There you go. There you go. Okay. So some of your, go ahead. 
no, no, that's some of your other. That's a that's another classic. You know, computer thing is uh, with bugs. You know, you, you never you, you never know that you're done until you're done. And there's a there's another famous phrase: <laughs> the first ninety percent of the project takes ninety percent of the work. The last ten percent of the project takes the other ninety percent of the work. <laughs> oh, that is so true. That's so true. Okay, so let's move on. Some of your other interests include cooking. I love that because I I love to cook myself. I'm Italian. So I always try my mom's recipes and I'm begging my sisters to get my mom's pizza recipe <laughs> so I can try her pizza. Um, what do you like to cook? What's your... What's your favorite thing? To uh, well, so I'm a I'm a baker, um, and so I I've been experimenting with a uh, kind of beer bread brioche, sort of a, a quick brioche where oh. you uh, cook the flour in milk to develop the gluten. Uh, without the kneading process, it's not it's not ah, quite okay. a full on brioche, um, but you use I use yeast extract for flavor, and it's I'd say it's about eighty percent of the texture um, flavors pretty close, and you can do it in an hour instead of a day. Wow! So I, I like to experiment <laughs> with with different things like that. I've also developed some that. really, really decadent desserts. Disrupting the marketplace and disrupting the kitchen. <laughs> Noah Healy. <laughs> That's good. My my daughter for my for my birthdays for as long as I can remember always bakes me something, and it it's crazy because I've been diagnosed with type two diabetes. So I've got that under control and I just had a birthday in September and she sent me a package to make a chocolate brownie. <laughs> and I laughed and I'm like, Hey, I'm losing all this weight. I, I figured you'd be the one that would be behind me on this. And she's like, well, it's your birthday. And I'm like, okay, but yes. So I, I've always, I don't bake because you have to follow the recipes to the T. And I'm kind of a rough kind of guy. So baking's not my forte. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cooking cooking and baking are really different activities. Yes. There um, you go. Yep. I like I like baking because usually time isn't as much of a factor. So with cooking in whether you use this ingredient or that ingredient, you know, you can kind of rough it out and keep an eye on it and, and sort of, you know, joggle it towards where you want it to go. Um, but that means that you have to kind of pay attention to it for the entire time that you're making something. Uh, whereas with baking, uh, you have to be really precise, but there's, there's sort of big gaps where you're just like, okay, this is all done now. And, and you can sort of toddle off and read a book or listen to something and, and not have to be focused <laughs> yep. on, on what's actually going on. So I, 
I prefer the kind of prep and let it unwind itself uh, approach in most things. But uh, but yeah, it's I've I've since since you know the COVID lockdown and everybody had to sort of stay in their houses. Um, I've been developing you know kind of sauce and soup recipes uh, to to feed myself a, a, a wider variety of things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm worn out on food. Uh, I live in a smaller community and it's the same. I've, I've been here for years and, and to go out without having to travel 30 minutes or more, you you just get stuck having the same thing and it's terrible. It's terrible. So Noah, one of the other things you say, you're a recreational mathematician. And I know the other day when we were speaking for the first time, we were talking about algorithms and, and you had a, uh, we're talking about dispelling the myths of algorithms, uh, the other day in our conversation. Can we touch a little bit about that? Cause we always hear about that you oh, know, sure. uh, it, businesses nowadays. And I think I, I had said that with you, a referenced open door, how they were trying to change the real estate industry and how you sell your house. And they come up with all these algorithms and they talk about that big words. Me personally, I think that was just for stockholders and fundraising to get money. You're more of the knowledgeable on algorithms. So let's go further. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. So, you know, we see this pattern in human society where somebody becomes successful people attach labels to things that they did um, that that are the you know causes of their success and then other people start applying those labels to what they're doing in kind of aping or or just fraudulently claiming those things for themselves um, gotcha. so Amazon Google Facebook, are examples of, you know, the the most valuable companies on earth according to the stock market, and these companies are all algorithmic. Google most explicitly so. Um, uh, Larry Page created a thing called PageRank, which was not named after him. Um, it's actually uh, <laughs> a scientific paper ranking algorithm. Um, that was the initial kernel for the Google sorting system that decided what good and bad web pages were. Uh, and so algorithm enters the public consciousness as the, as the secret sauce that, that generates trillion dollar companies. And so now every company's got it, got an algorithm. Well, thing is every company does and every company always had algorithms because algorithm is a math, math mathematical word uh, describing a process uh, and there there have been no businesses in all of human history that that weren't purely fraudulent that didn't have some kind of process engaged in the good or service that they provided. Um, okay. What, what algorithms, why, why we have that sort of particular word um, is that we've now 
gained a language and a set of mathematical tools for characterizing algorithms in such a manner that we can build machines that can do arbitrary ones of them. So that's what a computer is. A computer is a device that if you tell it about a process, it can execute that process. Um, and we can analyze these processes to figure out how they scale. Um, okay. So for example, addition, as it's taught to people in school, basically takes an amount of effort based on the number of individual numbers that are being added together. So adding 127 to 341 is half as hard as adding, uh, you know, two, six, two three-digit numbers is half as hard as adding two six-digit numbers. So okay. one, two, three, four, five, six, plus six, five, four, three, two, one, would take about twice as much effort. Multiplication, as it's taught in school, is what's known as quadratic. Um, so doubling the task makes it four times harder. Uh, so if if I were to multiply two three-digit numbers, you know, I'd use that kind of wedding cake algorithm. I would generate nine numbers nine. and then have to add those nine numbers together. If I was using that same kind of algorithm on six-digit numbers, I would generate 36 numbers. 36 is four times nine. That's where your quadratic comes from. Uh, uh, very good. No clue. I have yeah, no clue on it. it. It's it's just as simple as that. And so we can use these tools that have been developed really since the, the 50s to examine the whether or not an algorithm is doing what we intended it to do and how much more effort it would take for that algorithm to do more work. Um, some very bad algorithms are what's known as exponential, where effectively adding one new element to the system doubles the amount of work that you have to do. And we actually use some of these things. Um, cryptography is based on the notion that we can set up problems where solving the problem without special knowledge is exponential. And that's, if you've ever heard okay. about, you know, key lengths of, for, for different crypto systems, that's, that's, that's why that's important. So having a 700-bit key is some amount of work. Having a 701-bit key would be twice that amount of work. A 702 would be four times that amount of work. Having a 1,000-bit key would be roughly a Google times, or actually about one ten billionth of a Google times, uh, the <laughs> amount of work. That, that would be involved over a 700-bit key. Um, on the other hand, many practical systems are looking for linear or close to linear types of algorithms um, because then if you have to do 10% more work, then it takes 10% more work to do it. 
um, if you're in in one of the sort of worst conditions, having to do 10% more work might take 30% more work or 20% more work or 300% more work. And obviously, if you're in those kinds of circumstances, uh, you know, growth becomes a very bad thing for you. The markets as presently constructed are quadratic in the number of participants in the marketplace. And by separating the roles the way I have, my markets are quasi-linear in that cycle. And so at scale, the total amount of information processing required of present markets is on the order of petabytes, which uh, have you heard of petabytes? Um, it's starting no, to, to trickle in. Okay. Have, you've heard of gigabytes. Yes. Terabytes, you know, hard drives yes. are starting to get to terabyte size. There are a thousand gigabytes. Yes. Peta is the next one. Ah, so, okay. uh, so like a, a thousand one terabyte hard drives would have a petabyte on them. Um, okay. The modern markets process several petabytes per year. Uh, my marketplace would require uh, on on the order of several gigabytes per year of total processing. Um, okay. And that, that compression turns into less cost <clears throat> because each user has less to actually have to track and, and it all, it all just gets cheaper as a result of that. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Even though, I would have to watch that video again, and, and hopefully that'll explain a little more what you were saying. But yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Your, your marketplace kind of compresses, like you said, the amount of work, right? That'll go into over a year. Yeah, time. yeah. So the, the, the key thing is that information can be, can be separated into two categories of of noise and signal and this this is yes. very much analogous and in fact in most cases is equivalent to energy which we classify as heat or work so for example your car explodes gasoline and that makes your engine very hot um, but the engine is designed in such a way that some of that explosive heat is captured and drives pistons that then cause your wheels to turn. So the energy in the gasoline that you buy, most of it is actually vented out through your radiator because we can really only make engines, but so efficient. Um, but somewhere between 30 and 40% of it uh, is captured and put to the work of making your car go. Um, and so work is useful to people energy and heat is the rest of the energy that isn't so much useful to people. Um, differing differing how you're using systems can allow more effective use. So for example, on a cold day, your car can vent some of the heat that it's wasting to the atmosphere to 
your cabin and keep you warm. And so your car is actually more efficient under those circumstances because you're using some of the other heat for, for work, for keeping you warm. Um, Very good. Data at the same time, there's data that is useful to human endeavor and there's data that is useless to human endeavor. Um, If you felt like it, you could flip a coin and just record heads, tails, H, T, H, 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 T, 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 H, H, whatever. That would be data. That would be utterly worthless. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just the coin flips of some obsessive. Uh, But that, that would be data. That data not being of any particular use would be noise. Um, You might be able to repurpose such a thing. Uh, There are, there are algorithms that work well if they have a random input. And so if you had access to this obsessive that was flipping a fair coin and recording the histories of those things, you might be able to find an application in cryptography where having that source of confirmed randomness was valuable. And then that noise would become signal. But in general, noise and signal, um, if you know, the, the pre-digital days make this a little bit easier, but uh, you know, when, when your television's receiving signal, you know, it looks like it's supposed to look. If there's too much noise, uh, you know, in the old days, you'd have snow. These days, you can have that kind of, you know, shadow, you know, pause stutter thing okay. that happens from time to time. Um, All right, there you go. But on every communication channel, there's there's a mix of noise and signal. And so the the markets and the financial system in general is taking in economic data from the broader world, which has enormous amounts of both noise and signal. And the value that they provide is that they filter out a lot of the noise. Um, And so my algorithm, my approach, effectively distributes that noise filtration across the network in a much more efficient way, which allows the entire system to have less noise to process, whereas the existing system essentially centralizes all the noise. Uh, And that's failing because computers produce enormous amounts of data but it turns out that most of the data they produce is just noise. And so by centralizing the data in an environment where we're now producing much, much more noise than we ever have before, the markets are now coping with more noise than they've ever seen and, and hyper-exponentially increasing amount of noise each year. And it's, it's simply overwhelming their capacity that quadratic algorithm, which is now having vastly increasing amounts of effort being put into it, is causing the markets to need to do work faster than the progress of technology. Um, And since 
we can't do work any faster than the progress of our technology. Um, they're they're sort of slipping away from being able to perform their function, and that's why we see market failures and and highly unstable events becoming more and more and more common. <clears throat> okay. Uh, here's a question for you. How, how did you come about focusing on this and wanting to uh, uh, find a, a, a cure to the problem? Was it was it on purpose? Was it through other? It was an accident. Or there you go. Right. It was, yeah. I, I backed into it through other research. Um, okay. So I was thinking at a much smaller level, um, but in working at startups that had become successful and talking to colleagues who are working in the Internet of Things space, uh, communication networks and the failure of communication networks was something that I had sort of seen firsthand. Okay. Uh, and so thinking algorithmically about that problem space was something I decided to do effectively as a matter of interest. Okay. Um, there's a lot of work that has been done in this area. Uh, the internet itself is a result of deep research that was done on this problem. Uh, but the focus of the existing research was a bit different because the the kind of the unreliability of 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 the signals was was never really addressed um i would say in the way that i was thinking about it um from kind of almost a, a political or capacity type of point of view so that it was just it was just an idea i had this idea of a way to to use uh, uh, market type incentives for these kinds of communication networks. And I wanted to try to generalize that to see if, if that would turn into a, a new approach to these sorts of solutions. And the generalization uh, was, was this game theory idea that I call negotiation games. Um, so I told a friend of mine about these things and he asked if I could use them to predict the stock market. And I said, no, but it, after, after talking to him, it occurred to me, uh, that it might be possible to construct a market out of this approach. And that seemed like a, difficult but potentially interesting problem but not one that i was expecting to you know like my feeling was that at best you could equal the performance of existing markets um that there's a there's sort of well-known proofs that the existing markets are optimal and so the notion that you could do better than them isn't something that was was on my radar uh but it was the kind of problem that I find interesting. And so I decided to work through the details to see if I could actually do it. Um, and after I had done it, 
um, that's when I discovered the superior properties that it had and found the flawed assumption in the classic proofs for the optimality of existing marketplaces that the the classic proof assumes that the returns of the middlemen have to be proportional to the costs of the edge users because in existing markets they are um but my approach allows those two things to be uh, basically freely dissociated from one another because I changed the incentives for the middlemen um, because the because it's not a bilateral. Um, so you know you've got Adam and Bob and they're trading and they both want what's best for them. Carl steps in and he trades with Adam and then he trades with Bob. Carl wants what's best for him both times. And so the wider the spread is, the better off Carl is. But right. if we have more than just those two players, if we have, you know, Adam and Alex and, you know, all these guys and Bob and, you know, I'm not great with Fred B names today friend. for some reason. Yeah. yeah all yeah, all you. those guys. <laughs> we're, we're following Carl, Yeah. Carl can now provide advice to these two groups of people, take smaller slices of each of them and get more money than he would get just from being able to do a really good job with just two people. Two people, um, right. And so once you get over the hump of about 50 participants – the the value of my kind of marketplace starts becoming superior to the value of the current kind of marketplace. And of course, there aren't any functioning commodity markets that have fewer than 50 participants. So exactly. um, at that point, you're better off. Right. Now here here's another question. When you're when you're into that, and when I'm saying into that, meaning developing it, working on it, <clears throat> excuse me sitting there, you know, sheets of paper, computer, you know, adding what moving, do you get so caught up in it that you found yourself there for days or, you know, did you quit at a certain time at night, get back up in the morning, get back at it? Or were you just in it and man, just, I, I don't know what, what, what goes through your head so, when, you're, when you're developing something it, like that and you're into it, you know? On a roll, it took I me guess. about three months to actually find something that I'd convinced myself was a reasonable answer, and another three months to actually write code that would that would do what I thought that it ought to do, and then sort of confirm that it was doing it. Uh, you you don't you don't do it all the time. I mean, you know, you take some walks. You have to. I have to cook for myself. You know take showers, sleep. Right. You, you can't stay awake for three months. It's, it's, it's sort of a cross between uh, daydreaming and doing your math homework. Uh, <laughs> the, you, have to, you have to sort of think up an idea of, of an approach, and then you have to carry through the steps to analyze that to see if it has flaws. Um, 
So it's this kind of back and forth of imagining this this thing and then checking to see that it actually adds up. Um, and so, you know, you, you get you get a lot of highs and lows. Um, there's there's a number of false starts. One of the things that I did that was a complete disaster uh, was that I had the approach, and so I was trying to figure out how to optimize the system. So I was looking for ways to derive from the approach and the conditions the best possible solution. Um, And I couldn't convince myself that there was any way to actually do that. So then I spent a while seeing if I could prove that it was impossible to prove a, a perfect solution. And I didn't get anywhere with that either. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, in one sense, I, I wasted a couple of weeks. But in another sense, y- you kind of have to get yourself into the headspace to, to, to even have these thoughts in the first place. Um, yeah. So the I was thinking about, you know, who would be involved and what they would want and what the properties the systems would have to have. Uh, and I guess what I think the biggest insight I had was is that price doesn't matter to anybody because nobody can actually act on price because price is instantaneous. Um, right. Price reflects the world, which is, of course, constantly changing. And so no system can sort of cohere to price under conditions where price is constantly changing. And so a system needs some fixed thing to cohere towards for it to function. And so what was important wasn't what the price is or will be. It's what the sequence of prices over time are. And that object is a static in in higher time dimensions concept towards which a system can cohere. Uh, And once I had that insight, other pieces fell into place of what sorts of what sorts of functions for measuring information and returns and and rewards and so on and costs and everything would would be a part of that um and that's that's how i did it awesome so it it it, it's a complete body of work now patent pending and then at this point now like you said you're figuring out your years up as podcasts and you're going to come up with another way to to bring it out or implement it uh, get it in there yeah la- yeah launch your uh, we'll, yeah yeah uh we'll see like i said there's uh about five groups right now uh, around the world that are working on getting the technology integrated um okay. into a system nice uh that is going to be a 
pretty big watershed once one of them actually manages to get stood up and having customers using the thing. Uh, but until that day, uh, uh, I, I need to turn the cranks to get as many people sort of at, at the ground floor as possible, building the foundations. Once, once we're over that watershed, then there's the kind of next challenge of drawing attention to and drawing customers towards these sorts of things and uh, uh, versus their their existing alternatives and setting up new ones for other industries um but okay. that's that's tomorrow's problem <laughs> there you go awesome awesome well noah we're gonna wind it down from here um do appreciate you being on the show good luck to you and maybe in the future, in a few months, we can do a, an updated show and, and see how the progress is coming because I would love to follow it and, and just see how it goes because uh, I that, love That sounds new great things. to me. I love, I love new things. I love fixing old things that have been around for years that need to upgrade with the times, right? I mean, everything needs, like you said, needs to change it. You can't expect technology to grow over the next hundred years, but still using the same thing that's been around for centuries. That's my opinion. I, I don't know. If yeah. People yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that way. That, that's absolutely true. And that there have been such fundamental discoveries in sort of the, the structure of how things can be done over the last, I would say 60 years that are, are really not generally appreciated. Um, things like binary search are, are a very deep and not obvious, but incredibly powerful idea that because of things like Google and the internet, people are technically using basically every second of every day without being aware of it, but which can apply to day-to-day -day situations, uh, particularly day-to-day -day situations with computers. Uh, and because, because people don't know about that in general, lots of people are effectively just using linear techniques, which are wildly less efficient um, and, and wasting lots of their life in, in the process. Just because they don't know. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, it, it, it would be, it would be like if we didn't teach children arithmetic, um, and they had to sort of go through life randomly guessing how much numbers were going to turn out to be, uh, there are, you know, we do a pretty good job getting arithmetic out to the masses, but there are similarly fundamental, breakthroughs in a lot of process of this sort of process calculus um, that that we could get out to a, a lot more people than we actually do uh, i agree i agree noah okay folks thanks for listening and we're going to get this up as soon as we can noah i appreciate it look forward to speaking with you in the future and i'll stay in touch with you via your email sir 
Thanks for having me here. This was fun. You got it. Appreciate it. Thank you.